Hi friends, I'm going to posit right up front the central message of this episode. That the mark of a saint isn't fruitfulness, but rather faithfulness. As Mother Teresa herself once famously said, God didn't call me to be successful, he called me to be faithful. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Hello friends and welcome to our next stop on The Myth Pilgrim. Hopefully you're somewhat uh, intrigued by the title of this episode, Frodo and Three Saints Who Epic Fail. The inspiration behind this title comes from the sense that our culture is a little bit uh, put off and suspicious by perfect, pious saints who seem to have it all together and live perfect lives and were like on a beeline to heaven. Certainly our stained glass windows and prayer cards and stylized hagiographies, meaning the stories of the saints, hasn't helped their cause today. And guess what? In my opinion, we should be a little bit suspicious of perfect museum images of the saints because the everyday lives of the saints were in fact quite ordinary and pedestrian, probably more so than we'd like to think. Padre Pio had a temper. Oscar Romero suffered from scrupulosity. Pope John Paul II admitted he had a sweet tooth. And Saint Jane Francis de Chantal battled a deep depression for decades. Indeed, if you scratch the surface a little bit, you'll find that all the saints actually had lifelong struggles in their faith walk, slipped into relapses of sin like all of us, and failed in many endeavours. And yet, these saints were able to achieve great feats of love and holiness despite their frailty. Or should I say, because of their frailty. But first, why have I chosen Frodo Baggins to exemplify an episode on saints who epic fail? Well, we're often so used to the finale of The Lord of the Rings that we forget that standing there at the cracks of doom with the salvation of the world within his grasp, Frodo actually epic fails and puts on the ring instead of casting it into the fire. Now, we know that other events conspire to destroy the ring anyway, we'll get onto that, but the sheer epic failure of Frodo is a masterstroke of Tolkien's Catholic faith and something worth our attention. I mean, even leading up to this moment, Frodo had many other epic fail moments too, you know, so much so it was a miracle he even made it to Mount Doom. He gets stabbed at Weathertop, nearly gets impaled by the troll at Moria, falls into the dead marshes, believes the lies of Gollum and sends his best friend away, gets lost a zillion times and then, when he's all alone now, gets himself stung and paralysed by Shelob. In the words of a magazine I once read, Frodo has the survival skills of a suicidal lemming, which amounts to like zero. Okay, to be fair, the movies did exaggerate a little the uselessness of Frodo in a way the books didn't. The books actually portray Frodo's inner resilience and resolve far better. However, Frodo's constant failings remains consistent, and definitely his epic fail moment at the Cracks of Doom is evident in the book too. So, how I plan to structure this episode is as follows. First, I will tell you the stories of three saints who, in the eyes of the world, epic failed big time. This will make up the first half of the episode. 
Then I will explain the significance of these stories for a proper understanding of holiness today. And finally, in light of all this, I will suggest why Tolkien is a genius for ending his story the way he did, and how this sheds fresh light on our image of being a saint today. The first saint we'll explore is actually Saint Charles de Foucault, who I introduced briefly at the end of episode 56 on Pixar's Up. Born in 1858, France, Charles was a French nobleman who became an atheist at a young age. Impulsive and impressionable, he barely scraped through army academy, with results that put him at the bottom of his class. After living many years as a carefree womanizer and admirer of worldly things, his conversion to Catholicism inspired him to enter the local Trappist monastery. But he soon bounced right back out, having not fit in to religious life, and became a gardener for a time before actually pursuing priesthood and becoming a priest. Being a natural wanderer and explorer in the past, he then felt this insatiable calling from God to go to the deserts of Algeria in Africa, seeking to love the Muslim population there so much that they would come to know Jesus. But despite spending years getting to know the culture and the language and the people, nobody converted. And that's from his own words. Epic fail. He even tried to found a religious order there in the desert and wrote a whole constitution for it and everything. And while a few people initially expressed interest to join his order, in the end, after many decades, nobody was left in his religious order and no one else wanted to join. Aww. Finally, as a capstone to his litany of failures, he was accidentally shot by the very people he was trying to convert and died. At the time of his death, Charles had no followers, no legacy, and would have remained virtually unknown had it not been a biography published a few years after his death by Rene Bazin. But then, decades after his death, a man named Rene Verlume and four companions left France for the Sahara. This was 1933. Modeling themselves on Charles de Foucault's example, they became the core of what is now known as the Little Brothers of Jesus. A few years later, they were joined by the Little Sisters of Jesus, founded by Madeleine Houghton. Both fraternities and their several offshoots gradually grew and spread throughout the world, with their small communities taking up life among the poor and outcast, first in the Sahara Desert and eventually in many other obscure corners of the globe. Today, there are over 20 religious congregations all around the world, with Charles de Foucault's very unique charism of bringing the quiet presence of Jesus' hidden years to the world, especially to those most unreachable. In Charles's own words, it is not necessary to teach others to cure them or to improve them; it is only necessary to live among them, sharing the human condition and being present to them in love. The next saint we'll look at is Saint Louise de Merillac. <laughs> the who?、Mm. The subtext of her story from femcatholic.com is the saint who looked like she was failing at life. Born in 1591, young Louise started off as an accident, an unplanned pregnancy to two rich parents. Sadly, her mum died shortly after childbirth. And though Louise's father financed her education up until his own premature death, neither he nor his family ever recognised Louise as a legitimate child or a legal heir. Not a great start to life at all. Louise had no place to call her own. 
Her stepmom kicked her out of the house at the age of four so that she could begin a new family without her. Louise's prestigious Catholic boarding school expelled her at age 12 when her dad died and his new wife stopped paying the tuition. Louise's childhood culminated as an abandoned orphan in a workhouse doing chores in exchange for room and board. Somehow, in the midst of all this, Louise felt a calling to a religious vocation and longed to join the Capuchins, a local cloistered order. But that failed because the convent said no and rejected her, likely because Louise had an unsettled personality and came from a very rich family. In many ways, an unstable home life, failure to complete a Catholic education, absence of extended family support, roadblocks and confusion in her vocation would be enough to send most faithful Catholics into a tailspin. But Louise persevered. So, instead of religious life, Louise's extended family arranged for her to marry Antoine, the secretary to Queen Mary de' Medici. Unfortunately, her husband fell ill while their son was young, so for most of their 10 years of marriage, Louise was pretty much the full-time carer for her sick husband, while at the same time battling the existential angst of whether she had missed her true vocation in religious life. But one Pentecost Sunday, she experienced a profound consolation. The Lord assured Louise that despite all her difficulties and confusion, she was right where she was supposed to be. When her husband did die, she happened to meet a Saint Vincent de Paul, who himself was struggling to teach the noble ladies of France how to serve the poor with dignity. Though Vincent's volunteers had the hearts and financial means to help, they lacked the tolerance for the smell, the filth, the actual day-to-day -day dirty labour of charity work. When this holy priest discovered Louise's invaluable life experiences, though, he gratefully invited her to join his work. Louise's unusual blend of experiences growing up in nobility while labouring among commoners and caring for her sick husband uniquely prepared her to bridge the gap between St. Vincent de Paul's wealthy donors and the poor of the country. Eventually, Louise used her position to open orphanages and recruit wet nurses and foster families for abandoned newborns in France. No doubt the instability and family turmoil surrounding her own conception and birth spurred Louise's innovative care solutions for unwanted babies in France. With Vincent, Louise eventually founded a religious community that admitted many poor common women with hearts willing to serve but with no dowries. Louise established a new standard of care for those who are sick and poor, and she gained a reputation for quality medical training in her religious community. Though caring for her sick husband may have seemed a long and tedious thankless season and a lost decade of her life, it actually instilled in Louise the qualities needed to reform healthcare for the entire France. Today, we now know the religious order she founded as the Daughters of Charity, and as you probably know, they are now all over the world. The third saint for today was cruelly nicknamed Brother Ass, Ass as in donkey. Saint Joseph of Cupertino was born in 1603 in the village of Cupertino in Italy. Due to their poverty, his mother was actually forced to give birth to him in a stable, a move that would prove prophetic in time. Joseph was considered aloof even as a child, and the other kids made him the object of teasing. There are many accounts of him suddenly freezing up in the middle of his activities, staring into space with his mouth open like sort of in a trance. He also had a bad temper which made him hard to relate with. 
He was unable to concentrate on anything for long, let alone study and pass even the most basic of education. Desperately, his mother sent him as a young man to be apprenticed by his uncle, a shoemaker. But Joseph's inability to focus meant that he was pretty much useless at any trade. Helpless in the workforce, he felt drawn to a religious life, and teenage Joseph applied to join the conventional friars. But like the previous two saints, was actually rejected due to his lack of education. He then applied to the Capuchin friars in another town, by whom he was accepted in 1620 as a lay brother, doing menial tasks like labor and gardening. But even in doing this, he was soon kicked out due to his continued bouts of freezing up, which made him unfit for the duties. After Joseph returned to the scorn of his family, he pleaded with the conventual friars near Cupertino to be allowed to serve at least in their stables. Hesitantly, they accepted, and he proved to have a surprising connection with all the animals and they with him. After several years of working there, he had so impressed the friars with the humility, devotion, and simplicity of his life that he was actually admitted to their order, meaning he actually had the opportunity to become a priest. Should he desire? Naturally, he was terrible at his studies, but by a series of humorous graces, he passed his exams by being asked to explain the one passage of the Bible he actually knew back to front. He was ordained a priest in March 1628, and during his priesthood, the Holy Spirit began to work many amazing miracles through Joseph. Over 70 times, there is records of people seeing him levitate from the ground while offering mass or just praying. Something he is perhaps most famous for today. Often he went into ecstasy and would be caught up in talking with God that he just forgets his surroundings. As it turned out, those trance-like gazes that had plagued him all his life stemmed from mystical visions he actually had with God. He fell so deeply in love with God that everything he saw only drew him into deeper union. Even during his lifetime, Joseph became famous for such miracles that he was actually kept hidden from the public. And was even subject to years of interrogation by church authorities, fearing he was practicing witchcraft. He died in 1657, and almost a century later, Pope Clement XIII canonized him. With the church's classic sense of humor, he is today the patron saint of air travelers, hopeless students, and the mentally handicapped. Lest we ever think mental illness is a barrier to us becoming saints. Okay, so there you have it, friends. Three stories of saints who experience epic failures, multiple times too. I hope their stories alone will be enough to inspire you to live out that Mother Teresa quote I shared at the start: that God didn't call me to be successful; He called me to be faithful. I can think of at least three reasons why this quote is so true. Firstly, is the notion that faithfulness to God will always bear fruit, even when we don't see it. I mean, look at the desert-dwelling Charles de Foucault, right? Faithfulness will always be fruitful because God's will is infinitely more perfect than ours, and His ways and timing are always perfect. The second reason why God calls us to be faithful and not successful is precisely because it is often through our failures that God succeeds. God is the grand master of turning our human failures into His successes. I mean, that's the story of the cross and resurrection, is it not? As Saint Paul reminds us in Corinthians, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So, unlike us, God is not afraid of human failure at all. 
If anything, what God is afraid of is our unfaithfulness, our disobedience. Disobedience is also what we should be afraid of. And if any saint can prove that point, that God is not afraid of failures, look to Joseph of Cupertino for inspiration. The third reason why faithfulness is more important than fruitfulness is because we simply don't know what God's fruit looks like. We judge success and failure by our own ego or worldly standards, but God's fruits can be radically different from ours. We only see our little page in God's story. God sees the whole story, past, present and future. After all, when the rich Saint Louise was faithfully caring for her dying husband, she wouldn't have ever dreamed that the fruit of such training would result in the daughters of charity, now having brought the love of God to millions around the world. This means, dear friends, that when you become a saint, you will also, by definition, be humbled at the amazing fruit coming from your small acts of faithfulness today. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. Okay, full loop back to the beginning. So we started this episode with Frodo and now I hope to bring it home with Frodo. Might I suggest that while many of us look to characters like Samwise Gamgee and Aragorn and Galadriel as role models, it is probably Frodo that we most personally relate with, precisely because he actually fails from time to time. As such, he more accurately represents the saints than any of Tolkien's characters. The real triumph of Frodo was not his natural giftedness, nor his physical strength or his popularity. He was triumphant because he remained faithful to his mission right to the end. He was flawed but faithful like the saints. In the words of St. Paul, he fought the good fight, he finished the race. Carrying the ring of power was no small burden, as you know, but where others would just automatically wield its might, Frodo wielded meekness instead. As such, the equivalent of divine grace in Middle-earth, what Gandalf calls the other forces at work besides the will of evil, conspire to help Frodo's mission, despite his shortcomings. The Catholic Tolkien was very aware that human failures do not ever get in the way of God's will from being accomplished, only disobedience gets in God's way. Hence, Tolkien permeated his story with this gospel truth, especially in his main character. It is, in the end, grace that saves Middle-earth, but grace channeled through a flawed instrument. And ever since then, Frodo's epic fail moment has continued to scandalise audiences, audiences who want their heroes to be flawless and perfect. But now you know, dear listeners, why Tolkien did it, and also why doing so is actually very good news for all of us. The practical pilgrim reflection today is very simple, but probably very revealing. Ask yourself the question, how might the fear of failure be an obstacle to you living out your call? Or inversely, what do you feel God could achieve through you if only you remained faithful? What could God even achieve through your failures? Hmm, let the three saints who epic failed be your model today as you ponder these questions. 
for bonus nourishment, I will leave a YouTube link to a really well done 1960s movie called The Reluctant Saint, which is actually about the life of St. Joseph of Cupertino. Uh, this was a childhood favourite of myself and my sister, and it is simply a delight to watch, easy to get into, and very inspiring. So that's something else you can do if you want to befriend your failure tendencies. <laughs> okay, guys, we'll ask St. Charles de Foucault, St. Louis de Merillac, and St. Joseph of Cupertino to pray for us. Until next time, journey forth, take care, and God bless. Bye.